Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Josh Fuller, founder and CEO of Matic Digital, a digital strategy and talent growth agency. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Josh. It'd be good to learn a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah. So I started uh, Matic Digital just about two years ago. We are a seven FTE and up to upwards of 80 or 90 kind of regular teammates that we use in contract form. We have so many probably because we unexpectedly, as the company started, we supported a client with a little plug and play. They needed a dedicated designer, not kind of the full strategic capability of Matic. Found them one and that grew to 12 different people that they needed. And we started helping. We realized we kind of had an act for helping clients find talent for, you know, temporary dedicated experiences. So yeah, Matic has, has grown in a really fun way to watch over the last two years. Some of it intentional and some of it just delightful. And um, prior to that, I've spent several years with startups, one acquisition, did my stint, a wonderful stint actually with uh, Deloitte. I got to be a CD here, a creative director here in Denver at a digital studio for Deloitte. Got to support New York's opening and got to relocate to Amsterdam for a year and spend time over there seeing a tremendous amount of Europe in a short amount of time. So had a really fun career so far with this creative stuff. That's cool. What did your love of creativity and yeah, the marketing side, where did that come from? I think I was always artistic. I always sort of had the Pen and paper, charcoal and papers, where I sort of landed as my, uh, that's my, how I relax. I haven't relaxed in too long, though. I need to pick that up and do something. But um, so, you know, that was kind of childhood, but I'm in my 40s now. I kind of was, you know, in my uh, coming out of high school, college years when the dot-com bubble was building. And um, I was studying architecture and I got an internship at a, uh, at a hardware, so they made hard drives called Storage Tech, and it changed everything. I was the webmaster. I was an intern level webmaster was the title. Uh, not very current today. I just, I learned a ton. I, I started playing with Flash at night, opening up design tools well beyond the ones that they were needing me to do at the job. They gave me the hardware and the software. So I had fun learning this stuff. And uh, eventually I hopped on at a small agency and sort of never looked back. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things after the dot-com implosion that I could talk about. But I, mean, I worked nine years independent before I started working at agencies and Deloitte's and startups and things like that. So yeah, I guess I just, I had a love for it. And when digital came along the way it did with a lot of websites were being tossed out there, not a lot of intention. It was more of a, you know, at this time, it was more of a better to have it and not need it. And I guess, so I was there for the early days over time. That spirit, I guess, of like teaching myself Flash or whatever, just sort of grew to like, let's learn branding, let's learn typography, let's learn production of photo shoots, film, whatever. And yeah, I just found it to be such a fun career because I could sort of dabble into a lot of different things and learn a lot. And over time, you know, what always stayed sharpest, I think, was my interest in digital connectivity, just keeping users and brands kind of elastically connected across various mediums. I love the systematic approach to the whole like ecosystem mentality of how these things were coming together. So I didn't, you have beautiful art in the background. I love the black keys, but I didn't focus on one medium of like, I'm going to be the best typographic 
illustrator there is, I stayed a little closer to like, I was always fascinated by the business side and how design plays a role and, you know, with that and, you know, sometimes evangelizing, but eventually just evolving the brand worth to the stakeholders themselves of what you think doesn't, you know, your logo being bigger may not matter at all. That's a very jokey designer request. Every client says, oh, the logo should be bigger and maybe spin. That's not so much today, but back in those days it was. And I, I found myself even then always kind of gently pushing back that, no, this is not what your users care about. Your customers are going to value, you know, authenticity. They're going to value a story. They're going to value a certain image they want to be associated to. And to see just how, you know, introduce social, introduce Glassdoor, introduce global movements, to see how all that has sort of come to fruition, that conference room is transparent and <laughs> it's internal and external. And so I've really been able over the last couple of decades to just sort of be there, be a part of it in some way and, and contribute in some small way. And uh, yeah, I think very lucky that I liked drawing as a kid to go full circle. It's cool. I always love hearing the stories, the kind of the journeys people go on, especially in, I found it in branding with more than anything else, but people have a non-linear background and a lot of diverse interests and I think it helps with branding I think it helps with strategy and creativity how they come together and uh it's interesting to say about flash because I remember like you said back in the macromedia days trying to trying to handle that thing and it was a complex beast of many sort of uh trying to work out the code wasn't it I can't even remember what, what action script was that what it was called something like that and then the keyframes and yeah 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 that was tricky the keyframes oh my god I know and it was so fascinating it was so fun it was um in many ways ahead like going back now with the interactivity we have with our phones and you know flash was imagining those things on a desktop experience it was such a fascinating tool obviously needed to be you know apple was right in seeing the future with javascript and making sure to smash kind of flash out of their os which sort of led to the demise of flash but for its time it was really fun <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Some of the things that were created with that in terms, like you said, the website of things and how it could be interactive and how it kind of paved the way anyway for that, that technology to be developed and, and looked at. It's cool. You also said, I love the way you put it about make the logo bigger or make it spin. Because I think the flash, day, flash days as well, that was pretty much the thing, wasn't it? Can you animate the logo? Can you make it do something in the top corner of the website and stuff? And I think you're right. It needs to make sense. It's not always about the company as it is about who you're trying to reach, how you're going to reach them what the audience wants to see and resonate with. So right. when you're doing that process and developing brands, what are the things that you focus on the most? What's the most important thing for you? You know, I always like to have a baseline. What I mean by that is we spend a significant amount of time immersion. Through that, we want to talk to obviously the business as much as possible from different lenses, you know, not always stopping at the top tier, the stakeholder tier, but what, you know, talk to understand the passion and the beliefs and the drive behind, you know, everybody kind of contributing to that particular company's mission or vision. Same thing from the customers, but I think knowing at any one time how to analyze your place in, in your market as a brand is vital. And, you know, generally that's a good starting point for longer term clients. We've, you know, I've done tune-ups on that research. Like, let's look at, you know, what's happening today, not what was happening two years ago when we last did this exercise. And what you end up getting out of that, I think, is, you know, I use this kind of analogy of when you're walking down the aisles of the grocery store, I like cereal. So you're walking down the cereal aisle. Why am I going to pick your cereal over the other? And like, that's sort of the highest level of there's zero awareness. And I think another big thing that we kind of evangelize here is empathy for the customer journey. So it certainly when they're there, you have an opportunity, but what were they doing before they got to your brand? What were they doing before that interaction appeared in their 
in their feed or on their browser or through word of mouth. So kind of trying to meet them where they are. But ultimately, you know, it's meet them and then you resonate. And at a certain point, there is a decision. It's going to be between brands. It's going to be a Ford or a Chevy. <laughs> to be generic. It's, you know, it, somebody's going to make a choice on a brand. Why did they make that choice? And then there's God, a tremendous amount of factors at play that can, you know, move that dial one direction or another. But it does, I think, all start with just knowing where your market is to know where you need to be. And so that's a big thing we start with. That's cool. And you mentioned earlier on that you've got a sort of a team of in-house team, but you've also got contractors you work with. Yeah. How does that work in terms of developing your brand and from an internal perspective with values and that kind of thing? And how do the contractors work with the clients? How does that all kind of come together? Yeah. So I guess I'm just feeling analogies this morning. Love analogies. It's a ripple effect. <laughs> If you picture a bubble dropping into a pond, right? That you've got that ripple that broadens. And so I think the core center is where the need for and the benefit of having sort of a full-time dedicated living and breathing Matic problems every day and Matic solutions every day, whether that's client-facing, brand-facing for us, that's in a really fun journey. And then kind of, you know, with the contractor model with the, the ICs that we work with. I mean, some of them have been here from the very beginning, so we keep them very close. So they're kind of that outer ring of the initial ripple. And then it just sort of broadens on there because at times, you know, I've been doing this over 25 years. My studio lead, who was at Deloitte as well for not, she spent nine years at Deloitte. She's been in the industry for close to 20. We know some people and we, you know, brush shoulders with a lot of people. So A, I think that makes us pretty good at identifying like the right people for things. The biggest success rate is giving people problems they they are good at solving, they want to solve. And we just have a good trained lens for that at this stage of our careers. So that's been really beneficial and something I didn't experience 10 years ago when I was, you know, a CD in an agency. I didn't have that. But I, I think over the last 10 years, like it's been interesting to see that sort of that person-to-person -person skill is what's really become super beneficial, like at times more so than any pixels I've ever moved around for a client. So I love that. But then, you know, it scales out by use case. We just helped a client with a, um, a Unity developer. Matic is, we're doing great and we do digital. We are not full of Unity development projects at the moment. <laughs> We'd love to do something. And we have a nice bench of talent now because we went out and had to find that talent. And so we started, again, started with our network and you ripple out and try and stay as close to the core as possible. That said, it's taken us to, we've got lovely folks in Canada that we work with regularly, two in Netherlands, actually, and oddly enough, not from my time living there. LATAM has been a great market and partnership. The, the talent coming out of Latin America is just fascinating and bright. And they're just doing such cool stuff. And yeah, we're primarily hubbed in, in the US because when we get to like, you know, the projects we're working on, or if our clients is US-based and we're wanting to embed particular talent with their team for the next five months, we do consider things like time zone to be pretty important. If you're going to be on the team, you need to perform and be on that team. It's very hard to work from bulleted, you know, a list of stand-up notes that you're reading eight hours apart. So we're always very conscious of that across how we pull these different practice areas and these different specialists together. That's the general thinking there. But I will say this, we're always at the ready to kind of hire the next people. Like as we're growing, it's like it has that so just so many benefits to being able to kind of constantly have a good reason to be talking to talent that might be interested in working with you. And we're kind of doing that 
always so that, you know, sometimes it might be somebody that can plug in with a client engagement within a week and we're just meeting and it happens that fast. And then other times it's can take three, four months uh, from first time we've talked to, to the talent to maybe they're working with us, but it gives us a real chance to kind of build in these relationships. And also I'm just a big promoter of the independent, you know, worker. I think COVID changed so many things for us. It's fairly covered ground, but you know, remote work. And I'll say this, we've been in a WeWork for the last, since starting, because you need some form of an office to occasionally meet a client, if nothing else. We were going in a couple days a week and we've outgrown it. And so we just got a dedicated space that has its own conference room and its own lobby. Do I see it getting used all the time? I hope so. I hope people come back. But the team at Matic, we're growing away from you know, remote as a policy and it's more as a culture, do we want to be remote all the time? And we're starting to decide at least for the folks and we're not all in, in Colorado, but for the folks in Colorado, we want to, you know, kind of pull together and, and mold the clay together as much as we can. And also when you're hiring, let's say somebody a little newer to the, the industry, they maybe only have a couple of years experience. And, you know, I think those people in that position, the perk of it's remote is really attractive for job seekers out there. But I think some of the realities are there's just something that happens when you're seniority in action, when you're seeing experience in action and able to kind of have that osmosis effect. And it just, it can happen, but it takes longer. <laughs> and I think that collaborative essence does matter. And it's a weird thing because I'm a very big proponent of remote. I mean, a lot of our team pairing is like, yeah, they can be anywhere and be on your team, you know, but we go for that time zone thing I mentioned. But for us at Matic, we're wanting to really have a space and have a shared bond of how we're kind of pushing through ideation on our brand. Obviously, the work we do for our clients is high touch and very peer centered. And uh, yeah, we're thrilled. Sorry, I had to plug the new office. Very excited about it. No, it's cool. It sounds awesome. I'm a very big uh, proponent for the remote side of things as well. But I totally agree with you that you know, where I came up through and like you're talking about, you know, when you worked in those environments, there are things that you get from it that you can't get from remote. And I think it's the only thing that remote doesn't have is that ability to rub off on people and kind of learn stuff and develop and, and like you said, see things in action, see how people handle stuff and right. also develop in the way that a company does things because everybody does things differently. And I think it helps you to see it in that way a lot clearer yeah. when you can be there for a time. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So when you were saying about plugging in contractors, do the contractors, like you said, do they stay with the clients for a period of time or is it on a project by project basis or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. We have one client, a really interesting early stage startup. They needed a senior full stack developer that was comfortable being in a startup. We're building this together. From a business case, they they had budget. They didn't have approvals to hire full time. So that's a nine month engagement to start with plans to convert into FTE. So the client would actually plan to convert the contractor away from Matic at the end of the engagement or extend. So they don't see this role going anywhere. It's not necessarily about one initiative. It's more, we need to grow the team. And this is a way we're approved to do it is we can work with a vendor partner easier than we can bring on FTE right now. So we've supported in that capacity We've supported and, you know, generally the baseline is three months. So for the project thing, if a client has an initiative and they're like, look, we're a fairly staffed digital team here or brand team or development team, but we need help in this one. We need to flex in this area for the next, you know, chunk of our feature set deliverables that are due. 
will help for that. So that's more plug and play and just, you know, three months. And again, we work with our talent, just like we work with our clients to create an ethos of like, even if it's just three months and we know there's a clock ticking on this, how do you get away from that mentality of, you know, no skin in the game? That kind of comes into broaden that out to what Matic is and how we're engaging with our talent and we're doing, you know, lunch and learns and collaborative sessions and peer reviews, kind of unbiased peer reviews, because let's say we're doing a project review for a Matic client, building out a new identity kit and digital experience. If we're doing that, we're going to all have a lot of probably pretty strong points of view when it comes to, are we hitting the requirements? Are we hitting all the things? Whereas when we do a peer review with our, let's say the creative team that might be plugged in with a client and it's not a Matic project, we don't really know all those details, all those requirements, all those drivers. We can kind of come in almost as a user and be like, well, why is it doing this? Or have we considered looking at it this way? Oh, okay. There's a business logic driving this decision. Cool. So it's kind of, you get this really, you know, break in the monotony for the teams doing those reviews. You get to see something fresh. That's like not the project you've been on for six months. And then I think from the client and they're benefiting from the, the flex of a full, you know, creative team or dev team that they don't have to pay for that's sort of advising on their project, not as regularly, but, you know, a few times every sprint, we all try and come together and do these things. I think in service to the idea that without having, you know, learning hubs all over the country or, or the globe, how can we build community in a remote workforce? So these are some of the tactics we've been coming up with and uh, putting into practice. And they've been really great. Like I said, some of the contractors we have have been with us since, I opened up in 21 and they just keep, you know, crushing for us and hanging around and they wear the Matic hat strong and we've offered some full-time roles and they're like, no, I like being independent, but I want to keep working with Matic as long as possible. Great. That's fine. We just, you know, want to keep you close. So we've had that and we've had a couple come full-time since and somebody's coming off of a project. She's on a dedicated project through uh, November, a UX researcher. And She's been with me since the early days of Matic. And uh, yeah, she's coming full time in just like two months. We just kind of finalize that. So it all just sort of as it should at this size, I think. We're not a huge, huge agency with a massive HR, you know, workflow going on. We're really finding who do we really enjoy working with? Who's bringing, you know, fresh thinking? Who's excited about the work? It's very obvious. You can kind of see it, you know, when you work, again, going back to just having been able to work with folks for a long time. It's very obvious when it's being, I'm checking boxes on my to-do list versus like, there's been real thought, real research, real excitement around this. And Matic is only going for the latter. We're only interested in the latter. <laughs> we tell that to clients too. We say, oh, it's just this quick thing. And it's like, well, that's cool. It'll be quick. Well, we can make it quick. We can make it cost-effective, but we're not just going to, you know, put lipstick on a pig if we can avoid it. We, you know, we want to actually be intentional with things and at least understand the why before we've said the what. Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm glad you said the word community because when you're talking about what Matic is, I was getting the vibe of community, this idea of kind of developing talent and developing 
uh, the creative community that surrounds you. And it's really cool. It's really interesting. It's like, I'm one for, so I love analogies and I love visual analogies, but when you're talking about Matic, I see it, you said about a ripple effect. I was seeing like a solar system as well. It's almost like a, this orbit around the central piece of it and kind of as it works, it was really cool, but um, yeah, it sounds like a really interesting thing you're doing there. And I bet a lot of people get a lot of reward out of it for being part of it, but also the learning, the community, the peer to peer stuff sounds amazing. Yeah. What's your experience with that? How do people find it? What are the things that they love the most about working in that way? You know, I should probably do a survey to speak for them completely. But what I've seen is, I mean, again, I'll speak to that from my own lens. So when I basically just permalanced for about nine years, uh, most of the early 2000s, and then over time, I ended up hopping over to a, a larger agency to help support their creative, became the creative director there, and we built out a practice. There was already some UX started there. So we figured out how to scale our UX and creative practice together. And, and I stayed there for four and a half years. We did crits, design critiques. So we would come together and do, you know, critical analysis of the work being produced at the agency and we would send it. And I think that was great. That was the time in the industry. And then I went to Deloitte and we learned, we did things differently. We did do retros and we did do critical analysis of each other in the team environment. The reason it was so fascinating to me is it was the first experience I had where even though the other agency was established and much bigger than my permalancing <laughs> operation. So that felt like a big step. But then going into the world of, you know, a top four global consulting firm that has invested significantly in its digital capability and practice, there were 60 creatives and we were all kind of assigned as specialists. So across the board, you had your, you know, I'm a visual designer, I'm a UX designer, I'm a, you know, programmer, I'm a JavaScript developer, I'm an engage, whatever. We just, we had all these practice areas that were incredibly, you know, talented people, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Um, and what they did there was called a brown bag. And we just came in and, and shared on a topic or shared on something. So that was not something I'd seen before. So we do that to kind of keep people engaged and, and learn on, you know, FigCon just happened. So Chris, our studio lead, did a big, you know, lunch and learn on that. And we do this, we just say, hey, come if you want. This isn't a billable hour. Like if you don't want to come to this, you don't have to. But, you know, client work, always billable. But yeah, if you're coming to like, just hang out with us, like we went here. And I think without having a survey on hand, I can say that the vast majority of people came in the network. And so like, that's cool. Like they want to spend time with us. They want to connect um, with each other. We love seeing that happen. And and then the other thing that Deloitte taught me uh, that we've broken in is the mashups. And the idea behind the mashup is take out the critical analysis and let's just do analysis and also a little bit of show and tell. And you're going to get feedback because you're around critical thinkers that are, you know, creatives and strategists. And we can see past beauty and get into the, oh, that's really interesting how you, you know, we do a lot in travel. So for a booking flow, it might be like, that's really interesting how you manage to, you know, check that requirement box and also keep the, you know, path to purchase under three steps. That was phenomenal, like for such a complex product. So like it's uplifting, but it can also go the other way where it's like, why did, what was the genesis there? Oh, that's unfortunate that that was a requirement because it would have been way cooler like this. <laughs> so, I mean, it does go both ways, but um, being able to just build that in, I mean, Chris, I'm just sort of borrowing from some of the best playbooks I've seen and we're always learning new ways. We also, you know, for being such a small scrappy 
agency, it might surprise some, but one of our early hires was a talent director. She's phenomenal. She's worked at this capacity in the past. She brings more than a recruitment aspect, and that's a big part of her responsibility at Matic, but she really taps into kind of the human interest side of what we're doing as a company and building in these ethos, I guess, of just really being a people forward company. And um, so thrilled that we are able to do that. Oh, I was going to ask you like about startups. With your history sort of in startups yourself, but also continually working on startups, what are some advice you'd give to startups now in terms of creating a brand, establishing a brand and sort of getting it out there into people's kind of lives? Yeah, I'd love to point that a little more, but I'll give you a broad stroke on just the typical startup. You know, there's 200, 300 person companies that have been around for five years that are still leveraging the startup moniker. So that's interesting. I think as startups, like know when you're startup and know when you're scaling and identify that because I do think it's just such a broad stroke. <laughs> but, you know, so let's take the more early stage startup and you've raised three, five million, you've got the licenses and the softwares are running. And what do you got to do? You're, you're growing the team to build out the thing. And I've done this myself. It's very very tempting. You want to hire all the rules and you're working against the budget, which is working against a runway and a burn rate. Um, hire the experience it would be the advice. Go in on the investment of you will, as you scale, the grow and kind of teach model works really well. But when you're at that early stage of there's a clock ticking, it might be a year and a half, you might have three years, who knows how much you raised, right? And how many resources you need. But Spend the money on the experience, get results as fast as possible, move the needle as far as you can, be early to the next raise. Again, this is just an opinion from what I've seen through a lot of these startups is you just get there faster. You burn faster, but you achieve faster. And I think getting comfortable with that, it does put the pressure cooker on. If you're going between a you know second, third year, recently out of one of the accelerator program developers to be carrying the large weight to develop your product, it's kind of just gambling that that person is really prodigious and is going to crush. And, and I hope they do, right? But if they don't, you've burned whatever time and money versus just going like, let's pay double that salary and get to the senior person and knock this out. And then we be, can become a learning culture. We can build that in. But I think startups just, they, you know, breathe because it's so much pressure all the time. But every startup sort of has the same situational baseline, which is sort of fighting for your life, no matter how much time you think you have, there's a clock ticking. And when we had the genomics firm I worked at, we had 3 million bucks. That's how we got started. And, uh, you know, we figured out that we had about 18 months runway and we were inquired in 10. So pretty crazy that that happened. But I remember even at month six, we were like, okay, it's feeling like we need to maybe market a little bit more. And that would cut us back to a 16 month runway. But we did. And then we started getting a ton of, of activity in the app store and it started to produce results. And then that led to, so we never had to raise again because we just got bought. But that's just one tiny story of millions, right? But uh, I don't know, broad stroke, maybe it's coming from the agency and coming from the talent side lens of what we're doing here that I focus so much on just putting the right people on, being ambitious. To, I love molding and working and guiding and supporting ambitious young talent. I also know that we couldn't be where we are had we started there. Now we're at a place as a, as a maturity level. So it's not about, I would never say like there's an exclusionary essence to it. Like everybody, you know, leveraging talent at any experience level is, is always good. 
But I do think when you're in that early, early stage, just take the big horse pill and, and put the right people on as fast as possible. And then, you know, build in that baseline you need to then become the cultural training or type of organization you really want to be to like nurture and help grow your teams and just knowing where you're at. Again, this is my own advice to myself quite often. So hopefully that's something that might help one person out there. <laughs> I think it's nice. I think it's a good idea. I think um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost like scaffolding yeah. in a way. The experience provides a scaffolding so you can then build the rest of it. If you've got, like you said, I like the idea of the hire and then the kind of teach or the learn culture of kind of that person who's in the experience place can then develop the talent, nurture it through as it comes in. But you're in that place of safety quicker, like you said. So you can then give more opportunity to more people quicker than you could do if you just went the other way. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's the acceleration, I think. It's a little bit of just, you know, stepping out off the cliff and hoping there's a glass floor that you just can't see. And yeah, that feeling sucks, <laughs> to be honest. But getting past that, it's, I think, more often than not, these things come together. Every big story and, you know, every beautiful founder story, it always started with, oh, I, I ran into, John, who was always good at math. And so it's about like finding these prodigious, just, I mean, and I love those stories, but they're just not the average. So on the average, it's, you know, no, don't, I wouldn't just hope to be lucky that I found the right talent at, you know, half the cost of what the role I really need is. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen very often. I was, I was going to say, when you said about the step on the glass floor, then I got with my um, kind of visual mindset and love of pop culture, I was thinking about Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade with the kind of the stepping out across the chasm or whatever it was. And then he throws the sand to see the rest of it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It kind of popped into my head too. So good. <laughs> yeah. I was, so I was going to say to you, you love um, the kind of charcoal drawing side of things. What other things do you do from a perspective to recharge, re-energize creativity? Yeah, well, I've got a seven-year-old, and so she equally recharges. And uh, like when I'm with her, I so you know, second year company is kind of like the first year, except you find a way to work more. So I am pretty dedicated in terms of social life is very backseat in in lieu of you know being where I need to be on Matic and helping see us and our clients be successful. But when I'm with my girl, with my daughter, I don't open the laptop. Only in the very rarest of situations do I do a morning call before normally that's time to, you know, trying to do my best at her hair <laughs> and having breakfast and playing a game of sorry or swinging in the backyard. So point is, she might be exhausting because of her energy versus my energy, but it certainly recharges me because it's basically a no screen period of time. And her mom and I share, her mom and I are together. We just share custody and have separate houses. It works well for us. So we do a 50-50. So, you know, on the weekends, for instance, it's a wonderful refresh because it's bikes and dog parks and, you know, hosting friends over and all the things, but it's not like, let me send that email. Let me get that work done. And then on the weekend, I don't have her. It's a seven day work week and that's okay. So by the time I get to her, I need to be more human again. And same with, and you know, so just getting out of the house, just going to have a dinner, you know, and we do date nights and stuff. All those things are how I recharge. I, I do love biking and I do occasionally steal a couple hours to get out on a trail. And uh, geez, The Bear was an amazing show to watch. That was very relaxing. <laughs> so, you know, the, that's it. I mean, I wish I, I had more interesting stuff. I just sort of uh, 
I probably had more adventures a couple of years ago. I really started to kind of remold my extracurricular lifestyle. And yeah, right now it's, you know, drawing unicorns with a kid and uh, moving things around on the desktop. Yeah, I've got a seven-year-old as well, actually, seven-year-old uh, daughter and a four-year-old and a nine-month. I know what you mean about the struggles with the hair. Nice. It's ridiculous. I still can't get it now. It's kind of, it's crazy. Her mom's like, you should really know how to braid her hair. I'm like, yeah. Trying. <laughs> yeah. It's not that easy. It doesn't come natural. Yeah, I know. I've exactly the same. It's, um, and, but I know what you mean. The same with us at weekends. It's just a nice time to chill out. And actually it does. It's that time away kind of does help your brain sort of, all the things you've been thinking about in the week, they kind of percolate at the time when you're not thinking about them. And then when you come back to it, they're kind of, they're there and ready to go. Well, I guess getting exercise too is a part of it, right? So, and it's only, I'm a super, apparently I'm slow on the uptake with things because I should, these are things I should have known like when I was 30 and, but I know them now and backing off, just backing away. And I know the basic, Hey, you're looking at one problem back away, come back to it. It comes. I know that from a designer point of view, I've had that my whole career and it's always proven right. I guess the thing for, especially for the startup founders out there that are like sweating every detail, you know, just the the mountain of, it's not even a mountain, it feels like quicksand sometimes. It's just surrounding you with like things you've got to do. And, and then you step away from the computer with the intention of having a nice night and all of a sudden the anxiety hits because you remembered something you missed. So I'm, I'm in the throes of all that. And what I'm learning is even whatever that is, Staying away from something, letting it be a little late if that's what has to happen, or just deciding what can wait and letting it wait and letting it go in your head. When you come back to that after that weekend that was super unproductive, but you know, you got to eat some cotton candy at a carnival or something, like when you come back from the uh, you know, the real life stuff that so many of us forget that it's what really matters, bit back to the important stuff, right? Of like the to-do list and the emails and the overview docs or whatever it is you got to get out that week, it does come so much faster and so much clearer. Every time I come back after a day and a half, two days of just not thinking about it, the answers are there. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like progress. It's an amazing phenomenon that I relearn every week. <laughs> Definitely. So what would you say drives you mad about your industry? Are there anything that sort of bugs you about the industry? There's a lot of us out there. I like the industry we're in at the moment, especially, you know, I'll just speak purely agency here. I think it's a really fun time to be an independent agency right now. Nike has always sort of looked to smaller brand agencies to like stay fresh and never be too repetitive or redundant or have kind of a, a singular straight line approach to how they communicate their different drops or initiatives. They've always been fresh and exciting, but not a lot of other brands have. A lot of other brands, they sign in with the large agencies who get it. There's so many things to manage at a certain scale that it's a wonderful thing. But those large agencies have for a long time been going to the Nike playbook and leveraging independent agencies to support experiential moments or brand launches or product launches or the development. A lot of agencies still don't have like the digital side of this kind of dialed in. They were born in traditional and converting to digital. It's very tricky to do. And not that it's not being done well in some places, certainly is, but it is a big task. But, you know, they've for a long time been relying on the smaller agencies through partnerships. We have some of those partnerships. We're grateful for them. But I was just reading the other day, the brands are starting to go direct. The winner of Cannes a couple of weeks back, all I'm going to be able to tell you is they're an independent agency and they they took home the big prize, which was was great because they were a fairly new player. They weren't, you know... The typical agency that might win that, the massive agency that would typically walk away with that award. 
that's an exciting time to be getting that kind of recognition as an indie. So, you know, we're very young. We're under two years still. I'm very excited about where this can go. The frustrations, you know, largely just in lie, we're in that middle ground where our capability extends past what some of the clients we can reach are ready for. So sometimes we come off as a little big to certain. What might have been a good client fit for Matic a year ago might be less of a good client fit today. And that's, I think, an interesting thing that we're learning how to maneuver because you want your clients to come with you, you, you know, and, and for the most part they have, but some of the ones we're attracting maybe, is this work we could be successful at servicing right now? Can we steward this business to the level we want to, knowing that the type of talent we have, the type of outputs we want? So those are interesting challenges, but we're also in the gray area of we're a little too small for some of the, you know, we're perceived as too small for some of the bigger initiatives that do more align to the type of workflows we want to build and the type of, you know, initiatives and partnerships we want to be a part of. So I don't know if that's an industry gripe as much as it's just Josh gripe, but, and I don't even know that it's a gripe. It's more of just situational awareness, really, that we are in that gray area and it constantly feels analogy warning it feels like if you picture the side of a very steep desert sand rock hill as you get a foothold you step up you immediately slip too so you're just climbing and just climbing and climbing and i think as a for an industry that's been around as long as kind of advertising it's still tricky to know how do you climb to from the beginnings to the middles to the tops and there's a tremendous amount of books written on the subject. None of them are like, do this and they will come. So I think it's my gripe about the industry, man. It's just that it's a frustrating industry at times. It's a tricky business. It's all I think about resonance and timing. And the timing piece is so vital. And when you're small, you, you realize you can't be everywhere all at once. So you might have the exact right resonance, but be at the wrong meeting. And I think that's a very uh, frustrating reality at times. But you just push through it and eventually the resonance and the timing will start to map a lot better. That's cool. Yeah. That's what I've seen. So, um, you know, we are not where we were a year ago. I mean, a year ago, I was on a hospital bed wondering did I make a mistake starting Matic <laughs> so, with a client who owed us a ton of money <laughs> and, and now we're a year later. So I, I think no matter what the frustration in the industry might be at any one time, it will change. There's another version of that story that probably keeps me up at night is, you know, you're on the top and then you're, you know, you're blockbuster and then Netflix comes along. That's also a, it's peaks and valleys. And, and I think that's just learning how to, to run with those. I actually have a compliment for the industry as well, that in my journey, I've been connected to and met with peers. I mean, clients that would very much be happy with the same business we'd be happy with. And then larger agencies that have, that have offered help and lifted a hand. And then of course the talent base that we've been, you know, building out. The amount of just knowledge share and support and welcome to the party mentality of this industry, I think is really beautiful. It's never a, how can we beat you? It's always a, how can we collaborate? I don't think uh, Ford and Tesla are having those types of conversations. So I do think it's something that's like special to our industry that, you know, it's not about edging out the competition. It's about lifting up and like power and numbers. And we're a little more you're small, we're small, but together we're better. So we've done some of that with some great agencies that are phenomenal uh, throughout the country. And yeah, I just, I don't know many industries that, that work like that. What does the future hold for uh, Fomatic and yourself and what's coming down the kind of pipeline end of this year, next year? What, what's the plan? 
Yeah. So we've grown our account department with intentionality to grow our ability to partner with our clients for the long term. You know, I think the big jump for us is going from project vendor to, you know, brand stewards for our clients. And yeah, our name is Matic Digital. And I think digital is one of our strongest capabilities. And that's an exciting place to be because digital is also the primary hub. And Everything sort of bleeds out like a website doesn't matter in many cases if you're just waiting for like people to find you. But obviously, you know, a more mature brand, they have film, content, influencers, social, all these things. And where do they all home run to some variant of an online experience? So we're very lucky we have an understanding of that and we, that we're able to kind of look at it as a whole and see what is in real life doing to drive traffic and create, you know, elasticity between brands and audience. So you know, we're always kind of looking for ways to find and amplify those connections. And I think Matic is going to be at the end of this year, we see us being at about 10 people. We see us having, we've got some wonderful relationships we've developed throughout this year. Very excited for the second part of the year. And I think, you know, just as a core, without the eight ball to tell you exactly, we're going to keep building it in two places. We want to build powerful relationships with our partners and we want to really be continue to be a platform and mature our platform. We have a lot of plans for the team side of the company to really integrate in, you know, useful points of, of tethering between us and the talent where they're very much independent, but they're not in a desert or on an island by themselves. And that's, you know, with so many people laying off, it's a little overwhelming. Like last year is different than this year when it comes to the talent pool and it's bigger now. It's last year, we're looking for somebody to be an independent contractor for six months for a fintech project. The people we were meeting were mostly very experienced permalance types that were like, this seems like a cool engagement for me. Here's my credentials. Here's my background. Here's where I've done it that might be relevant. The talent pool today is, well, I got laid off in February and I'm learning freelancing. So we're supporting people like getting comfortable with like, there is a way you don't need to necessarily go take the salary, the benefits, and kind of the false assurance that this is a safe choice because it's kind of proving in tech that that might not be the safest choice all the time. So we're not anti. Again, we help clients find FTEs. So we're, and we have them ourselves. Um, but we're, for those that are, you know, have kind of been through this, they went from the, you know, the meta to the Twitter to the Amazon cuts. Where do I go? Google is in there helping them feel, you know, very supported and ready to go out and be independent is something that's it happens in the daily just through conversations but it's an initiative that i I hope to bring more to market um early 2024 we're developing a podcast ourselves that's about talent we're talking so julianne our head of talent is leading it it was such a no-brainer she's just got such a conversational perfect personality for it and we're like you know why don't we start to kind of, you know, uplift folks that they might be available, they might not, they might be hiring, they might be an actual practitioner. Doesn't matter. Let's just talk all the things in that particular industry. So uh, look out for that. It's coming in a in a little while. But, and it's not a long format. It's going to be, you know, we're aiming for a 15 minute, just quick hit with somebody interesting that's in our space. That's So I think we've got five or six of those ready to roll out in the next month. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. If you let us know when it launches, I'll put it in the show notes and stuff like that. And uh, it's been really good talking to you today. It's been awesome having this conversation with you. Love to do it again sometime. Where can people find out more about yourself, about Matic and anything else on the horizon? 
Yeah, absolutely. MaticDigital.com. I will see any email from there. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Love connecting with new people on LinkedIn. So my handle there, I believe, is Josh Fuller CD. And yeah, that's probably the two best ways we can go from there. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Well, uh, yeah, I'll put the links in the show notes. But yeah, thanks again for coming on. It's been awesome. And uh, yeah, look forward to either doing it again or hearing more in, in the future. I love it. Thank you so much, Chris. No worries. Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast. And if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to continue your brand development journey, head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube. There's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast, brand building tips, deep dives, and more. So thank you for listening. And remember, keep those brands unified.